Welcome to the ACC Now podcast. I'm Luke DeCock here in Greenville with Steve Wiseman getting ready for tomorrow's game between Duke and Cal State Fullerton, or I guess tonight's game by the time this posts. Uh, it was an interesting day here in Greenville listening to Duke talk about what they've learned since Saturday night's loss to Virginia Tech. You know, Steve, listening to, to, to the Duke players talk, it sounded to me like they really did acknowledge that they were quite bad on defense, especially on the perimeter, and knew what they had to do to fix that, or at least try to fix that. Yeah, I mean, it's a lot of, uh, you know, the, the word mindset came up, which which we all, we look at this team, and they have talent. They have, you know, they're big, they're strong, they're athletic. They have a seven-footer guarding the rim, uh, but yet they're giving up points the last over the last four games like they hadn't all season. So uh, it's really about them figuring out, you know, what's their best approach and what, what they need to do to get back to what they did earlier in the season when they were, Everybody thought they were a really good defensive team, and all the metrics showed they were a really good defensive team. Uh, so it's uh, it's really about attitude more than anything else. And I mean, Coach K said it's you know communication, attitude, and effort. And communication is like half of that battle. So um, they need to talk when they're switching on on defense and stuff like that, and help each other out. And really, they need to they need to carry the fight into this like like they have something to prove because they do. They have a lot to prove. I mean, this was a team that beat Kentucky, beat Gonzaga established itself as one of the best teams in the country and then you know really has not been that good since uh was not you know managed to screw up coach k's final cameron home game uh didn't win him an acc title in his final year that's all just uh, you know things that quite frankly are unacceptable uh for this for this program uh, would have agreed that that they were going into the season so not to borrow from north carolina in 2017 but Duke goes into this NCAA tournament. I think redemption is the word that these guys have something they need to redeem themselves for. They've screwed this up already. Yeah, and talking with people around the program uh, this week, I mean, they really you know, they point back to November, and we've talked about this over and over about how they came out and they had something to prove in that first game against Kentucky. That you know, are they as good as they they look like they are? Well, they proved that night they were, and then a few weeks later they go to Vegas. Gonzaga is number one in the country. They just come up blowing out UCLA in a top five battle. And Duke came out and beat them. They took the challenge to them early, took the lead, never let it go, fished it off and won the game. And so uh, they felt like they'd proven a lot at that point. And then they really, frankly, kind of got away from it. They really thought, you know, we're easily the best team in the ACC. They were the only one ranked all year. They kind of got a little, you know, frankly, soft. I mean, it's the word I want to use is uh, they, didn't, they didn't have the grit they needed to, uh, to be the best team in the country. They've had to work so hard to be at their best. Uh, and th when they get to their best, they have a high ceiling, but uh, it's just a matter of getting there. So that's what this week of practice has been about. And, you know, Coach K mentioned that you know, they played three road games in a row late in the regular season when they wrapped up the ACC regular season, you know, first place before that game with Carolina. Uh, he didn't practice very hard at going into the Carolina game. Uh, and then they had, uh, you know, the three games in three days in, in Brooklyn. So he didn't work very hard early that week trying to save their legs. Uh, so this is really the first time they've had a chance to work on themselves in a few weeks. And, you know, if everything goes the way they think it's going to, they're going to play their best basketball this weekend. But, you know, uh, we've heard about this before, and they haven't done it. They've been kind of up and down. Uh, they've been really good at times, and then they'll have a clunker. And now we've got to see if they can string together six really good games. Yeah, I think to me the disconcerting part of that is is the lack of response from the UNC loss going into Brooklyn. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the really dismal performance against an, a, a really undermanned Syracuse team missing its best player. Uh, and then a, a not a great performance against Miami, a 10-seed 
in the NCAA tournament, which was the kind of team they're going to face if they win Friday. Uh, they won, but they certainly, you know, made it a, a narrow thing. And then obviously, you know, Virginia Tech was a, a disaster in, in many ways. K, Coach K painted this as a freshness issue, as you mentioned, the number of games they had played. But I feel like it's more in this team's DNA because they had time off between the Carolina game and, and the Syracuse game. Um, but roughly the same amount that, that they've had here a, a, a day or two less, but still. And I just, I wonder if you can flip that switch in the, this space, in this time here. Can you turn a bad defensive team into a good one in three practices? I, you know, that's been the issue with me with Duke all year. There's no question about the talent. Uh, quite, I have more issues with the want to. I have more mm -hmm. issues with the commitment to doing the hard things. It looks like this team... Um, and I said the same thing about North Carolina earlier in the year. I, I think it's even, it may be even more true of Duke because it's a better team, although it's hard to look better than North Carolina looked on Thursday. Mm. Uh, it, it feels like it's a little bit of a fair-weather team, that when things are going well, they can run it up and blow people out. But when things start to get difficult, when there's a little adversity, uh, it isn't that fluid. It, 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 they don't play with the same alacrity, with the same verve, if you will, yeah. to use a K-ism. So I just, I just don't know what we're going to see from Duke. I, I think... This team has enough raw talent to get past Cal State Fullerton, even if it plays poorly, sort of like the Syracuse game. I think it probably has enough raw talent to get past Michigan State or Davidson, kind of like the Miami game. But I wonder what happens, you know, against a Texas Tech out west. I wonder what happens if it's if it's Michigan State. I I, I may be wrong about this. I don't feel like if Duke wins that Davidson is going to be a huge threat just because the athleticism involved there. And, and, and I mean, if Duke's any good, that shouldn't <laughs> be an issue. But Michigan State's an interesting team because that's a physical team. That's a team that's been through the battles in the Big Ten. Um, that's not a great matchup for Duke. Now, Michigan State, like Duke, has the uh, tend more, really more like UNC, has a tendency to go hot and cold at times. And, you know, this that would be a great test for Duke's defense because if you can put some pressure on Michigan State, not necessarily like, pressing and trapping, but just game pressure. Tom Izzo's teams always have had an Achilles heel of turning the ball over too much, which Duke has exploited in the past. Mm -hmm. But I also wonder if that gets into a tight game, is, is Michigan State better equipped to play that game than Duke just based on what we've seen down the stretch? And I don't know the answer to that. I, you know, it feels like they would be, uh, you know, again, the, the athleticism difference between, you know, if Duke plays Davidson, uh, I mean, Davidson's going to be, you know, well-schooled and all that kind of stuff, right? But they only have one day to prepare. Uh, you know, Duke has an inside uh, inside information from Bates Jones. <laughs> <laughs> if uh, if they do play Davidson, that's that's got to help something, right? I mean, he was just on the team the last four years. But, uh, yeah, I mean, Kay and Izzo, you know, they've had their battles over the years, and, and Izzo's won – Last, last couple of years, he's, he's knocked them off. Two of the last three. Yeah, yeah 2019 so, and then the, the ACC Big Ten Challenge during the COVID year. Right, so. in front of the empty camera. And so, yeah, it's, it's, it's happened. And uh, uh, But I, I'm like you. I think they probably have enough to get through this weekend. Uh, but like when they if they get to like Texas Tech and Gonzaga again, you're playing veteran teams who have been really tested. that They've played at a higher level than, than Michigan State has, frankly. So... Um, that in, in San Francisco is where that's where this team has to find that extra gear that they again they've shown at times but they haven't shown it consistently and really it's been more about uh, if they get a lead early I mean we've seen them get big leads and kind of let them back but they finish games off like 
Wake Forest and things like that. Um, but if, if they get a big lead and somebody really punches back at them, sometimes I think Duke expects somebody else just to lay down. Like, okay, yeah. we got you beat. You know, look, we're so much better than you. And when they don't, it's almost shocking to them that, that they can't, you know, they haven't, they won't just let them roll to the wind. So uh, that's clearly a big area that, <laughs> that it should have been fixed a long, long time ago. And really, that's, there's not much the coaches can do about it at this point. I mean, they've played 34 games. And it's got to be somebody on the court. It's got to be Wendell Moore. It's got to be Trevor Keels. It's got to be, you know, Paulo Bancaro, uh, for all his talent, doesn't seem to be that kind of, you know, I'm going to take control right here and we're going to win this game or I'm going to get the stop. I mean, he's, his stats are unbelievable and he's going to be a great pro. But uh, that edge, I keep saying grit and edge and things like that, but that has to come from the team, I think, more than the coaches. And uh, so – this is the weekend where it's got to be here or it's not going to. they got to, they got to get it going. Speaking of the coaches, given the circumstances and the fact that his team has lost two of its last four games, um, both absolutely catastrophic in the, in, the, in the scale of the season, obviously, you know, in retrospect, people may or may not remember. I think people will remember Carolina winning that last, last home game forever. But uh, given those circumstances, I thought Shashevsky was – very loose on the podium today, uh, making fun of the, the the questions via Zoom, and he got into it with with Mike Toper at, at Time Warner News, who asked a question about Cal State Fullerton's offense, and Toper's numbers, it turns out, were correct, but Kay had some recency bias from the games he watched and really went after Toper and said he was glad that Nolan Smith had the scouting report and not Toper. Uh, which was which was funny considering in the if you actually look at the numbers, Toper was correct. But when Shashevsky is sort of doing that sort of bantering um, and engaging, um, we got a lot of that sort of sniffly chuckle today. Uh, I thought he was loose. It makes me think he's seen something in practice that tells him these guys have got it again. He 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 was loose after they won at Virginia uh, late in the regular season, uh, where he had. Going into that game had challenged him a little more, and and you know he said he added a few extra things on defense, asked asked more of his team, and they delivered it to win that game. And they made plays late. That was a, a really solid performance, uh, you know, on the road against an NIT team, yes, but on the road in a tough venue, and they pulled it off. And so that's where we saw a little bit of that. And then you know they played pretty well. They went to Syracuse and Pitt the next two games and just blasted those teams. And so I think at, he, at that point he thought this team's got it, and then obviously they didn't. And so now he's seen something. When he's loose like that, that's usually the case, as you know. You've covered him a long time too. That uh, if, if something's wrong, he'll be a little on edge or he'll, he'll be a little more guarded. And he, he thinks he's seen something in these guys that uh, and maybe it's time for them to do it. And uh, that's clearly what needs to happen. So, um, yeah, I, I know this staff, this team has been a little frustrating I think we can all see that. Sure. Uh, so uh, if they have used this last week to really to challenge them and, and to get the answer they wanted from them, then uh, I think that's maybe why Kay's uh, acting the way he is. Yeah, the, the the body language from Duke's coaches in Brooklyn was just a complete and total exasperation <laughs> that they'd pushed all the buttons and tried everything and they could not get that team to respond. And maybe Krzyzewski is is right and he's being honest with us that – that, that they were just, they had lost their edge through, I don't want to say fatigue necessarily, but through not being fresh and through not having a chance to hone that edge, which 
if you look at his best teams and the way they play, but typically on offense and defense, they, they are honed to a very fine edge. They do things at a very high level of precision. And when that level of precision starts to slip, and we saw this in 2018 when he had to play so much zone, mm-hmm. you know, things start to fall apart, especially on the defensive end. You know, we talked about communication today. To play defense the way Duke wants to play man-to-man defense, you know, you really have to be connected, to use another one of his words. Uh, and that does slip. Um, when you can't reinforce it. Now, if you have older players, it's not as big of an issue. And in 2018, they basically just threw in the towel and we had that famous Grant Hill moment, can you slap the floor in a zone? <laughs> Where his best player ever is mocking him on national television, which is still one of my, against Syracuse, no less, still one of my, my favorite. irony of ironies. Just <laughs> irony on top of irony on top of irony. Still one of my favorite my favorite Duke moments. Um, and, and, and so there, there can be slippage there. So it, we, we will find out eventually how much of this is, is Kay's sort of posturing, um, trying to, to buttress his team, and how much of it is, is, is genuine, that they just didn't have the practice time to hone that edge the way they need to. Uh, that proof will be in the pudding. Uh, let's, let's move spin forward a hair here. Who do you is the most important Duke player this weekend? I'm going to say Trevor Keels because – I think he can be the on-ball defender they need to do. They need. They need. They need. He's that guy out front, the spear. You know, tip of the spear on defense. Kind of remember how Trey Jones was that way for the, for those really good teams uh, a couple of years ago, and uh, and then on offense, his shooting when he's when he's been shooting like he can. They're they're really good. Like he scored twenty five points against Kentucky. You know, he had a big game there. He had a big game down at Clemson. He scored. He scored over 20 points a couple of times, but you know, the game against Virginia Tech, he was like one out of seven and uh, missed his three-pointers and everything. So uh, made a bad pass in transition off the rim. That was just odd. Um, he, he's usually a calming force, uh, both in, in transition and in the half court. And when he is, uh, is driving the ball and, and kind of gets inside the defense a little bit, he can either hit that short jumper or he can dish to somebody open. And he's strong enough that he doesn't turn the ball over in those situations. It's hard for somebody to intimidate him because he's 6'5 and you know 220, right? He's tanking there. So um, I think that that his play will really go a long way here. And there are others too, but um, that's that's the first thing I'm going to look at because because they need that guy to be on defense to say, I got this. We're going to stop this guy's right here. And I think he's got the ability to do that. Yeah, I don't disagree. And I thought when I watched the Kentucky game, so let's go back to November at Madison Square Garden, watching Trevor Keel's play, and the authority with which he played it, I said, oh, well, Duke's going to be fine because this is the kind of big, ball-dominant physical guard that they haven't had lately. Like, Jeremy Roach is pretty slight. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ty- Trey Jones, for all of his many virtues, was was relatively slight. And you have this guy who's this great, big, uh, strong, you know, like a pocket Justice Winslow, just someone who's much more built much to be much more physical. And we saw that against Kentucky. Uh, you know, really, really driving the lane and, and initiating contact, and, 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 and as you said, on defense especially. And then we didn't see it from mm-hmm. for months, and he just became this sort of passive, um, you know, non, uh, just just not very active sort of perimeter guard. So if he can get back to that, I I agree with you on that. I would say Jeremy Roach because we've seen over the last couple of weeks more of the player. I think they thought he was going to be two years ago. This you know, dynamic sort of multi-role point guard who can shoot, who can defend, um, isn't huge, but can distribute. 
you know, and this is a guy who, who basically, you can argue the semantics on this, lost his starting job. A guy who they thought coming in two years ago was going to fall, fill right into Trey Jones's spot as a sort of ACC caliber point guard and didn't. Uh, struggled at times this year. But I think we've seen, we saw in Brooklyn, we saw kind of at the end of the year, more from him of what he's capable of um, in a good way. And then if you get him going, you know, now you've got more threats on the perimeter. You potentially have a pass first point guard who can also shoot a little bit. Um, maybe that allows Keels, you know, to, to penetrate more. I mean, I think one of the things this team is missing, and really Bancaro is the only guy who's been doing it, is just the dribble drive. You know, you just you don't see them put the ball on the floor from the perimeter. You see a lot of jump shots. You see a lot of post entries, especially to Mark Williams early in games. Uh, you see some of it from Bancaro. You saw a little of that against Virginia Tech, where there were moments where it seemed like he wanted to initiate the play and and take the ball and, and, and take on his man. The guy who should be doing that, though, as you said, is Trevor Keels, and he hasn't as much. Maybe that's something that Duke can get back to. And if you have Jeremy Roach as a distributor, maybe that can free up Bancaro and Keels and A.J. Griffin uh, to put the ball on the floor and draw some fouls, um, get to the line, and, and, and you know get some guys in foul trouble. I mean, that's the thing about Virginia Tech. You look at the size Duke has. Aluma and Mutz, I mean, there was some foul trouble there. They didn't foul anybody out. Hmm. Um, you know, and then instead, they're the team kind of getting dunked on in foul trouble. And that's usually what they do. That's Duke's thing is to, you know, Get into the bonus, get into the double bonus early in the second half and just pile on free throws to win the game that way. Yeah. And, and they didn't that night, uh, which again goes back to their aggressiveness and, 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 and verve, uh, to use Kay's word again. Um, yeah, you know, Roach, when he's at his best, he's not, he's not a consistent 15 to 18 point scorer. That's not what his, his, his job should be. But it should be to, to play good defense, to, to you know, distribute the ball uh, and not turn the ball over. Yeah. And, um, you know, after he, Moved out of the starting lineup when when AJ Griffin moved up, um, and then he actually moved back in when Keels got hurt. But he had a stretch there over four or five games. He had like 19 assists and four turnovers, I and mean, it was really really strong play. He handled that well, and that's what they need him to do when he comes off the bench. Hit a shot here and there, but uh, but you know just run things well and don't don't make mistakes that, that give the other team scoring chances. So yeah, I mean Roach is is, is clearly a big factor. He's one of their is one of their key six players. Uh, and then Theo John makes seven. I guess that's pretty much it now, unless Joey Baker uh, finds a way to get back in there and do some things. But they're they're pretty much down to seven guys that they really trust. We saw that, I think, in the ACC tournament, mostly yeah. in the Virginia Tech game, right? Because Joey Baker hardly played in that game. Barely. He's starting, and, and that was the third game in three nights. You think he would have played more? But uh, I think Kay saw that he couldn't handle that kind of you know that kind of thing. But um, yeah, so uh, those are those are the things we need to see uh, in the next couple games here. I mean, Duke has 24 minutes of NCAA tournament experience. And Joey Baker. Joey Baker is part of that. Bates <laughs> Jones and Theo John are the others. Uh, Bates Jones at Davidson barely played. Theo John and Marquette played very little. And then, you know, Paolo Boncaro was a ball boy in Seattle in 2015 when he was 12 years old for the <laughs> Seattle-Iowa game. I don't know if that counts or not, but, uh, <laughs> you know, there's – the, this it, it, this is a different kind of tournament because it's back to the future, sort of. We're back to the old. We got bands. We got fans. We're in different places. We're all over the place. We got Mike Brave hoping there's Irish whiskey on the plane. Like we're kind of back to <laughs> to the before times in terms of the NCAA tournament. And even guys like UNC's team who played last year, uh, that wasn't a normal experience. 
uh, it was not at all. And, you know, they UNC basically flew into Indianapolis, never left the hotel, bust up to Purdue, lost, bust back to Indy, flew home. So those guys didn't get much of an experience. I mean, Brady Manick had one at Oklahoma. Uh, Leaky Black was part of the team in 2019 when they went Columbus, Kansas City. He didn't play a lot at that point, even with half the team having the flu. So I don't know. And, and look, Auburn has even less NCAA tournament experience than Duke. They have 13 minutes of it, and it's all Walker Kessler last year at UNC. <laughs> so, you know, I, I don't know how much of a disadvantage that that's going to be for Duke, that they haven't been in these environments, especially when their coach has whatever it is, 35, 36 times. Mm-hmm. You know, I, but, you know, even the 2015 team, when you go back to that one, that was a very young, freshman-oriented team. Um, but that had, I think, 11 games of NCAA experience already with, you know, obviously Quinn Cook, but Emil Jefferson had a little, Matt Jones had a little, right. Marshall Plumlee had a little, and they'd been through the routine. They'd gone through the practice day. They'd won a game. They'd played a game. They'd gone through the practice day the next day. They won another game. Like, you know, there were guys on that team who'd been to the Elite Eight, um, and, and, and this team doesn't have anyone who's ever won an NCAA tournament game, I don't think, unless Baker counts, um, but certainly he didn't play a very active role. So, you know, It'll be interesting to see if that matters or not. I don't think it will necessarily, just because this is new. This is kind of new again for everybody. Um, but if it does, it's probably going to show here. It's. I want to circle back to what we started this as we wrap it up. But uh, um, the hunger factor. Quinn Cook was on that 2015 team. He had lost to Lehigh and Mercer in two of his first three tournaments. He'd been sent home. Now in the middle of one, they made the Elite Eight, lost to Louisville, but they had a nice run that year. So. He added the fuel to that team. He was the key to that. Uh, the intangibles, yeah. obviously, on the court, he played well, but other guys were better. But th- he had that extra thing and that, that this team doesn't have. Um, and so they have to find their own hunger. And uh, so um, it's up to them to, to do that. I mean, Wendell Moore was talking about, you know, today, it's his third year at Duke and his first time playing in the tournament. And that's never happened before, uh, you know, since the early 80s for anybody to, to go through that experience. But, uh, but he knows, uh, you know, he's, he's, he grew up in North Carolina. He's he watched a bunch of Duke games and tournaments. And so um, you just have to hope that that, uh, that carries over to him and he can carry it over to the team, even though he hasn't gone through it personally. So I think, you know, start getting back to, getting back to normal. Having the open practice today was probably a good thing for this team. They got into the gym. They got, you know, fans in the stands. It's just like, like they've done every tournament, you know, uh, up until the last two when the you know COVID hit. So um, it's just part of the routine, and uh, they seem to to be out there doing things the way they wanted to. And uh, and here we go. Well, I think we've talked ourselves in circles about as much as possible about a two fifteen matchup. <laughs> I'll throw out real quickly some numbers here about Duke uh, from a column of mine that will be in tomorrow's paper. It's online, or it will be in today's paper on Friday. Uh, is online now. Uh, of Mike Shashevsky's four first-round losses, one was to 15th-seeded Lehigh, and the other three were as a number a number three seed. Uh, but which basically says that when Duke is actually really good, they're typically a number one seed. Um, if Duke plays Tom Izzo, Shashevsky is 13 and three all-time against Izzo, but that includes two absolutely crushing NCAA tournament defeats, and this would fall in that category. Mm-hmm. 2019, when Michigan State beat the Zion team, and 2005 when Duke was a number one seed with J.J. Redick and Sheldon Williams um, in Austin. Michigan State went on to beat Kentucky, and everyone was all worked up for a Duke-Kentucky rematch and, and didn't get it. Um, so there's some unfinished business there with Izzo. Here's another weird one. 
Krzyzewski is six and three in the second round as a as a number two seed, which mm. is which is wild. And 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 in eight of those nine years, they've played the number seven seed. Duke has never beaten a number ten seed in the second round. It's amazing. Albeit in the smallest of samples, one <laughs> one game. And then uh, this is the obvious one that we've been talking about. You and I have been talking about for for a long time, and I've seen it in practice in 2011 in Anaheim. Shashevsky uh, has famously never won an NCAA tournament game in the Pacific time zone, and right. Duke would go to San Francisco if they win two games here. So, 42 years in, there's at least one thing left Shashevsky has never done. <laughs> he's never beaten a 10 seed and uh, as a number two seed, and he's never won out west. So, those are all gettable goals for Duke at some point uh, if they can get past Cal State Fullerton in the West Regional Friday at 7.30 and change, depending on whether or not CBS is running on time or not. Wow. So, so, yeah, there's still a lot to be accomplished. That's, I'm sure that's the uh, I'm sure that's what the they're trying to he's, make. He's giving his players. So that this has been the 28th episode of the ACC Now podcast. And thank you very much for listening. Please be sure to, uh, to give us all those good ratings, uh, even if you don't agree. <laughs>